Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Order like a champ at Raisin Cane's with tailgates of hand-battered chicken fingers and cane sauce and jugs of freshly made tea and lemonade. You can guarantee victory for every game day meal. Raisin Cane's Chicken Finger, one love. Order online or on our app. Kaya and welcome to the Curb Podcast. My name is Andrew Pierce, and this podcast is recorded in the lands of the Wajak people of Bulu. I pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. On this episode, I turn into a bit of a fanboy as I chat with writer and director Tim Carlier about his feature film, Paco. This charming and quirky film follows Manny, played by Manuel Ashman, a sound recorder who is working on a film set one day and has the worst thing happen to him. One of his actors has walked off with a radio microphone. As many people continually tell him throughout the film, that is a very bad thing. As Manny heads off after a long day of filming to find his AWOL radio microphone, he discovers a world of sound, aka Adelaide, and the many creative colleagues and friends he knows as he tries to zone in on the audio of the missing mic. Paco then turns into a charming road trip of sorts, and it becomes a film that sways into all realms of art, including a party which in reality is one large theatre game, and elsewhere there's also a roaming music video that's being shot around Adelaide that kind of enlists Manny as an impromptu sound recordist as he is on his path to find his missing mic. There's an energy and a charm to Paco that simply sweeps you off your feet. I first watched it at Perth's Revelation Film Festival in 2023, where I had no idea what to expect. And as the film continued on, I felt myself getting lighter and lighter in my seat. It is that kind of charming. I was reminded of Platon Theodorus's great film from 2022, The Lonely Spirits Variety Hour, in the sense that it's a film that is confidently full of joy and hope that you just can't help be swept up by. In fact, I was uh, so taken by the joy of the film that at its close, which I won't spoil, of course, there is a really, really charming, sweet moment, and I found myself crying tears of joy. I just love this film so much. It is a rare film to have screened at the prestigious Rotterdam Film Festival as well, and that's something which I got to ask him about in the following interview. For those who are in Australia and eager to catch Paco, then you're in luck, provided you're in Adelaide, as Movie Juice will be presenting a screening on Saturday, September 16, 2023, at the Mercury Cinema in Adelaide. Tim will be there for a QA, and a as will Broham and The Empty Threats, two bands which feature in the film. Tickets are available in the show notes. For now, uh, let's take a leap into the world of Paco, one of the very best Australian films of 2023. And of course, if you do want to check out other interviews and podcasts, head over to thecurb.com.au. Set. Set. And action. All the people keep falling in the water. Sometimes people keep falling in the water. Falling in the water. All the people keep Falling in the water. How's your soup? Um. Oh my god, I'm like, I'm so sorry. That was um, me, wasn't it? Was that me? That was me. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Manny. Hey, Manny, how's it going? Manny, Manny. 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 Manuel. Manny. Hello. Manny, how's it going? What's this I hear 
about you losing a radio mic. Um, Isn't that quite bad? Yeah. Yeah. Well, come on in, have a look for her, I'm sure. She's around somewhere. Everyone's here. Man, the sound council's gonna be on me. So I can't get this radio mic. Yeah, and it's bad for Hebe too. One ice cream, please. So. I mean, if they find her with a radio mic, they're probably gonna kill her. What's the fallout of Rave for you as well? Like, because I know certainly for somebody who attends film festivals quite frequently, I'm about to head off down to Cinefest Oz, but I attend them frequently and you get this buzz and this high of everything. And then afterwards it's like, oh, you know, you've got to let yourself come down. But I'm curious for you as a filmmaker, what that experience is like. Yeah, I think Rev was a nice one. I think at that point we, I think at that point we'd gotten like a little bit more used to it because we'd done... Uh, Adelaide Film Festival and the Rotterdam Film Festival. So I guess we were like, those are big festivals where it was like a big come down. And especially showing that film for the first time anywhere is just like, how are people going to react? And yeah, like me just genuinely not knowing if it worked or not. Yeah, so at Rev we were like sitting a little bit more comfortable. I think Rev is such a friendly festival. It feels like very, very community-based. It's like a nice group of people that you're basically seeing every day. Yeah, so yeah, the come down, yeah, I get that festival come down where you've just been spending a lot of time watching movies and just talking to people about films and then you kind of have to go back to reality. Two and a half hour flight back from Perth, I think, kind of helps decompress. Let's talk about Rotterdam as well. Like, what was that experience like? Like, it is a, it's a rarity to have an Australian film appear there. Uh, so what's that like for you as a filmmaker to have your film screen there? Pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, because, again, we finished it in November or October, and then suddenly somebody said send it to Rotterdam, and they picked it up immediately. And it's, yeah, that was such a fantastic festival to be a part of because it's also so well set up for first-time filmmakers, and there were a lot of mentorship things happening and, like, a it was a great like networking experience and also just to be able to show your film at that kind of level was great. And yeah, just full, like, just as a learning experience, I think for filmmakers, festivals kind of take you to that next step where suddenly it's, you've been making a film, you've been in your own head and now there's this whole other world of like exhibition and distribution and understanding how that'll work. So Rotterdam was like a big eye-opening experience for us uh, in terms of that. But yeah, like a really lovely festival. And it was also just great to see that the film translates because it's, Paco can feel like such an in-jokey film. And of course there were, there are reactions like that. Uh, yeah, unfortunately I read all the letterbox reviews, but there are people who are very, it's too in-jokey or it's yeah, too much like it's about Adelaide or too much about filmmaking. But then also there are a lot of people who didn't work in the industry at all who still relate to it. I think there's something to be said in, I guess, what it says about 
freelance work and also I think like something that we achieved was just the sense of community feel like one of the references uh, that I had in the back of my head when we were making it was like a Muppet movie where it is about like a band of characters coming together to basically put on a show, but not that exact kind of storyline. But um, yeah, that feel, because it has a big ragtag collection of, yeah, friends and people from Adelaide that I've worked with. But yeah, so a long story short, back to Rotterdam, it like played surprisingly well. Like people were laughing in the cinema and yeah, in the back of your head, you're always wondering, like, does this translate? Uh, is this too Australian? Is this too Adelaide? Is this too filmmakery? And I think we've managed to kind of play a line where it's not too much, I guess, it's still like very relatable to a wider audience. Let's go back to the origins of where this started. As you're saying, you've, you've worked on a lot of sets and, and, you know, behind the scenes and things like that. I'm curious, was there a day or a moment that you had this? kernel of an idea to tell this story or was it just a layered experience of working on different shoots and building up these different kinds of experiences to create this story? There are a lot of different kernels of different ideas. So it's basically um, most of the scenes are either based on genuine like experiences or like funny stories from people or like dreams. But the kernel of the idea came from making a short film at university. So there's a Parco short that I made in 2016. And I had just always been interested in like the disconnect between like sound and vision and that thing of like what you're hearing isn't exactly related to what you're seeing. So in that short, the basis is like somebody giving a monologue and they walk up a hill and the boom operator walks into shot and they follow them all the way up the hill and then they get bored of them and walk away. And yeah, then... I always had the idea in the back of my head that it was like we could expand that idea because I love the fact that you can just hear what the sound recordist is listening to and you can also see them in the distance kind of finding noises. And then the story of a lost radio mic came and then uh, the opening scene specifically came from one day on set where that actually happened and we were rolling for a very long time for an actor who just couldn't get through their lines and almost had a nervous breakdown. It's just a really surreal environment. The whole thing, like you say, is from very much like a film crew perspective as opposed to like a film maker perspective. Like it's very, I like to think of it as very below the line crew level. Yeah, it is. and But it's also, I understand your concerns about it being too filmy in some capacity because films, about films can be that. It can almost seem like it's impenetrable. But the reality is with this is that, you know, we're swept along this journey, which is so fantastical in a lot of ways. And it's so absurd too that the aspects of filmmaking almost don't matter because it's who we're meeting. It's the comparison to the Muppets is a perfect example. I think that's really wonderful, but I just found it such a, such a whimsical delight to, to follow along and you're just falling along with everybody in this, this real joyful manner, which leads me to a fairly complex question in a way, but what does joy mean to you? How important is joy to you as a person and as a filmmaker? Uh, <laughs> that is a complex. It's it's massive. It's hugely important, and I think a lot of the experience, and I suppose like a lot of the reason I made the film, I had just this big revelation at a certain point that like 
I was happiest when I was on like a really good film shoot. Like being on set and being able to collaborate with people uh, when it works, it's like, it really works. And it's, that's basically like, that's how, but most of my like friendship networks are from the film industry. That's what I surrounded myself with. And it's a simultaneous thing where it's like, it's film sets are all like, they're where you're going to have your happiest moments and like your worst moments. Yeah, joy to me, I think came, like it was a realization that it comes from, I guess like the cycle of making things with people where there's the idea generation, like a good example is like a 48 hour film project where you have that really condensed where it is group of people coming up with an idea, filming the idea, problem solving, doing all those things, which is a huge challenge. And then at the end you have something that you can watch together and it's like a, a little like package of like memories as well that you can like always look back on. It's a series of photos it's um yeah it kind of captures this like yeah period of history so yeah i think that's um yeah that's definitely like where a lot of that comes from i think yeah that answers your question yeah it does yeah yeah you're talking about 48 hour film challenges and things like that that is an organic lead into talking about house of spaghetti if you you can talk about the origination of that and how that came about as well would be great yeah yeah so House of Spaghetti basically started out as a group of friends who were, we were all making 48-hour films together. I think we did it for about three years. The last one was called House of Spaghetti. It was a, a play on uh, House of Cards. It was a political thriller comedy. Uh, and then we applied to, the genesis of it was applying to Renew Adelaide, which is an organisation in Adelaide that, basically finds empty buildings throughout the city that basically need to be activated. So the landlord wants people to come in, use the space uh, so that it's more exciting to potential other like leases, but also like hopefully with the idea that you can eventually maintain your business and stay there. So we came in with this idea of a film collective led by myself, Tim Hodgson and Laura Franklin. And we, got this crazy office space that was an old bank. We had a floor of an old bank next to a petrol station that got decommissioned, I think, two weeks into us being there. And we were fortunate enough to stay there for two and a half years, pretty much rent-free, uh, which was incredible. It was, I think we had 11 to 15, like a fluctuating number of people, but we charged next to nothing for rent. And we ended up using the space for Adelaide Fringe shows as a venue. So we could do that at a super low cost. Yeah, it basically just became a creative hub. Several people have shot features in there and a lot of short films. Yeah, just like a lot of, a lot of things made from there. That finished, I think, a year and a bit ago. And we've since moved into another office, which is much smaller and we haven't been able to use it as a venue. So House of Spaghetti as an entity is almost kind of shutting down. Uh, it's, uh, we're all, well, I'm moving to London next month and Laura is moving away the month after. So we've kind of just started 
shutting it all down. But the idea of it was as a collective, so it wasn't set up as like we are a production company. It was a space where you, you could be creative and meet people and uh, come in and collaborate with people all the time. And yeah, a big project that came out of that was uh, a web series called Unturnoffable where we were making a live stream sketch comedy show every fortnight for about three months. Yeah, that wouldn't have been able to happen without that space and that group of people. So it was the idea of something like a label but not a business entity so much. It sounds like as well there's a creation of a safety net there too, which is so important when it comes to making a feature film. And I'm curious if you can talk about how you push your creative muscles in that kind of space and then were able to apply that to creating something like Paco, which, you know, on paper is such a really uh, complicated thing because you're collecting sounds from everywhere. You've got so much going on on screen. It seems like a quite a, a complicated beast in itself, which we'll get into in a moment, but I'm curious how you prepared yourself uh, in a place like House of Spaghetti and tested out your creative creativity in that manner. I suppose a lot of the testing for that came from just building relationships with people. Like, we filmed a few tests and we had the short film, and there's even a pitch video that we made to get the funding, and that we shot in the same style. So I was experimenting with it a little bit, but I think the main thing that I was focusing on was the safety net of those relationships because it's it's such a complicated film, I guess, to sell, and I still can't describe it to people, even though I have like a fully packaged thing. I can't go to a person and say, this is exactly what it is. And making it was a completely other thing. Like, we had it down to a line where like, we're making an experimental, no-budget feature film, uh, and we're shooting it kind of in this style. But it was... Basically, like building those relationships enabled people to just trust you. And so if you're filming something like that where people can't entirely envision what it's going to be, there's not a huge script, there's no super clear plot line or anything that you can lock into that way. As long as people trust you and know that you're doing something interesting and you've worked together and like, yeah, I think that's where a lot of that work came from. It was that. I guess safety net, like you say, like building trust with people. And yeah, just practicing filming things and working on things with people just gives you the confidence to go out and do it. And I think having made so many things at House of Spaghetti for no money at all, we all kind of knew that we could do it. We all had the talents and the capabilities, the skills to do what we were setting out to do. So with that in mind, how do your your script look like there the sound design is such an important aspect but the visuals of what's on screen as well is so uh, precise too so yeah what have you written down what have you got on page that helps people realize the vision that you're trying to make into reality it was a 20 to 25 page script and the first 15 or more pages are just that opening scene. Because the opening scene is the only scene that really has like really structured dialogue in it. And the rest of it is like very structured. Every scene would basically describe what was happening. It might have some dialogue, but it was all very structured in terms of what would happen at each point so that we could schedule it and figure out where we were going to go and how we were going to approach it. I think just having like 
the storyline, yeah, the, it was something that we could kind of hang the idea on of like, it's a film set, actress runs away with a radio mic and he's trying to track it down. And just being able to tell people that was very helpful. Because in terms of the project, I also didn't have too many major collaborators that I had to really specifically explain the project to. Because I shot it and edited it and wrote it. So uh, the only major people who I was trying to communicate what was happening with were like uh, Manny, who I knew had like a really strong grasp of the style and the character that I wanted him to play. So we were quite specific about that. Um, I had a lot of conversations with the sound team, Nick Steele, who did the sound mix, and Will Sheridan, who recorded a lot of it on the day. And they kind of guided us in terms of how we recorded it and approached it. And yeah, Tim Hodgson, the producer, uh, definitely needed to know what was going on. We've worked together many times, so we have like a a very shared language, but it's not in in making it, we knew that it wasn't entirely the the style of project he normally makes, but he knew the style of project that I wanted to make. And he was very generous in facilitating that and also contributing a lot of like very important creative elements to it as well. So to answer that, it was, yeah, it's tricky without like having a full script to get lots of people on board. Like if you, the reason I shot it and edited it was because we had such a short period of time to make the thing. And I didn't want to spend too much time having to explain it to different people and go through like exactly what I kind of envisioned because it's a difficult thing to explain or like express the exact tone and the style that you want. Um, and it's something that I knew that I was going to find on the day. So to save us time in terms of giving it to an editor who's going to do a really great assembly edit that's completely different to what I was envisioning and then we're just going to have to pick that apart and then go through the process and do again. I was just like, I'll just do that from the get-go so that I only have to communicate with myself in that regard and we can speed through that process. And in terms of shooting it as well, it's it was a camera that I owned, a lens that I've worked with multiple times, uh, and I really knew the look and the style that I wanted to shoot it in. And then, then it becomes instinctual in terms of how the operation of the camera and the blocking works. So how many days did it take to shoot? Seven full days, and then I think five half days. It's tight. <laughs> it's tight, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the, the centre of the film, to me, is what makes it such a kind sweet thing and it's i guess nowadays i'm so used to only seeing kind and sweet things done for kids right and we only get to see films or tv shows that are pure for kids and anything that's pure for an adult is usually considered rather twee or sweet or saccharine and this isn't saccharine in a a, a very you know candy like way it's just very sweet and nice in a way that it feels like a rarity for films that are directed towards adults. And a lot of it comes down to, I guess, having somebody like Manny at the core as well, too. Like, what's it like working with somebody who, I know that he's had experience as a sound uh, recordist, but what's it like working alongside him? And what was the conversation that he had with him to say, basically, I'm going to hang this film off you, mostly? I think it was a lot of confidence building, because it, 
it took us a while to actually go ahead and film it. So there were several periods. There was a period where we were talking about shooting every weekend or somewhere like that and building it that way. And so it just took us a long time to just like hit the go button and just go for it. But because we'd done the short film together and Manny was one of the first people that, like he was a mentor to me when I first started out. Like he was somebody that I started working on film sets with and with him I had worked on some of the worst film sets I'd ever been on. So we had a lot of shared experiences through that. And Manny is such a, there's no one in the world like Manny. He's such a specific person. And I think just like in my heart, I knew like there's no one else who can like play this character. And even in his approach, a bad thing, I guess, for me as a director was I had always said that it was going to be mostly improv. And Manny took that as don't read the script. So there were many days <laughs> where uh, there were scenes where there's like every scene is like quite structured. There's like something has to happen. People want something from Manny and he kind of has to know exactly how to respond to that or how to get to like the end of the scene so we can get to the next scene or like there are specific beats to hit. And it was the, the first few days of realizing that Manny was approaching it as a fully improvised thing and then bring it into a, let's structure it a little bit more. But he's very generous in terms of with his time and coming to the project. And even he, having read the script and everything, like told me afterwards, he didn't know what it was going to be like. I think he was there at that first screening, petrified whether or not it was going to be good. And like, he hadn't really acted before. I think he's very good, but you get that anxiety from people who are, non-actors about like how are they going to appear on screen and also Manny having had like no real hadn't looked at the edit hadn't seen anything since we finished shooting but he yeah he put a lot of faith in me I think at the end that's something that comes from knowing people and building those relationships earlier and that the film exists specifically I think because of him because he's the character that I kind of based the whole thing around it's a version of him that's not really him but it is him it's and and it works so well like it's just yeah and i I, i'm curious um you know one of the questions i think it was jack at rave had asked you this question about the the flags and stuff and he's like is there a buddhist flags and stuff and it's like no jack there's not but that's okay (laughs) but it's like (laughs) how do you as a filmmaker approach people having different interpretations of your work like like it's got to be difficult for you as a filmmaker to have people come to it with different perspectives is is that true no i love that that's um that's one of the reasons i like making films i think it's i really love david lynch and i love everything that he has to say about like anything you want to say about the film like the film is there the film exists the film can speak for itself and i think it's such a beautiful thing that anybody can watch it and have a different interpretation some people will have the more filmmakery understanding of it. Some people will have the community understanding of it or any other understanding of it. I love that and I love hearing what people say. And the film has so many moments that I have like my own internal feeling of or like understanding of. Like the orb scene at the party is one that always comes up that I will never explain uh, because I think, yeah, allowing people to take the film for themselves, I think is an important part of filmmaking generally. I think people do get tired of having things maybe spoon fed to them. And 
Also in the way that Parker plays out where so much of it is in long extended takes where you're not being, I guess, told exactly what's happening and how people are reacting to everything. You're watching people act, perform in time. I can't remember. There's a better way of putting it, but it's, it's things happening throughout time where you're given more time to kind of take your own meaning uh, and try and understand what's happening. And also because so much of it is improvised, so all the performers are bringing their own things to it, where I think an exciting thing for me while I was editing it and even watching it now, there's so much that I didn't see before or didn't hear before. Little moments that like I just missed that like an actor did because I didn't have that level of control. I didn't want that level of control where I knew precisely what was going on all the time. I wanted to be surprised and have things that still excite me. So I think that's... Um, yeah, that's something that I really enjoyed about yeah, the process of making it and allowing it to have like multiple interpretations. If there's a curious observation, this kind of leading to wrapping up a discussion here, but it's in watching Paco and watching Indiana and Josiah's films, which both are very film-focused in the sense that you you both have a complete understanding of the structure of a film, what goes into the making of a film, whether it's sound design, whether it's what's in the frame and stuff like that. And I was trying to think, like, over the past year, I've thought a lot about different styles of filmmaking in Australia, looking at, like, how the films of Melbourne are made and how that represents Melbourne on screen and films of Sydney and stuff. And then looking at the films of Adelaide, like, there is a, there, there seems to be this real interest in utilizing the craft of film, whether it be sound design or the visuals, to the extent that really amplifies the narrative of the film. And I'm curious if you can talk about, A, what it means to be an Adelaide filmmaker, and B, what kind of grounding, as we talked about with House of Spaghetti and the creative uh, energy that's built there, but what kind of grounding is built there within Adelaide to support filmmakers like yourself coming out and having an understanding of how to make a film, how to use sound design and visual language properly to tell the story. Yeah, again, it's a, it's a tricky one because it's like a, there, there are several like key elements of Adelaide that like I think have made it such a great place to start out. And that's a lot of the funding opportunities. Like the Hellman Academy is uh, co-funded Paco as well. Uh, such a generous like arts foundation, Carclu, the Media Resource Centre, which is now called the Mercury, which is the last of the lower tier funding bodies, um, emerging funding bodies um, left in Australia, I think. And in the SAFC to an extent, there's there's a community and I think it's, I think it was a similar thing in Western Australia, at least to some of the people that I spoke to is you definitely feel like a place where you're punching above your weight. And all the films that I had worked on in the TV series, it always felt like we were punching above our weight and almost working extra hard to kind of achieve things that other states and other countries are doing more of. So I think, yeah, there's just more opportunities to make things. I think it's such a livable city in Adelaide as well. It's quite affordable. I think the communities are really strong. I mean, communities come and go, like they get better or they get worse as a group of people or there's someone who leads things in there. Like, things about Adelaide that really frustrate me, but there are so many things about it that I really love. I think a key part of 
the love is that community that's made the city such a great place to live and work in. So I can't say specifically what else kind of has enabled Adelaide to be like this, but yeah, um, no, I agree. It's a fantastic place. Yeah, I think that I think that touches on it completely because it is that that punching above your weight, like trying to make sure that you're noticed and recognised on screen and and not just on screen, but it's like you know South Australia for one of a better term, is almost like for Perth, a flyover state. We don't tend to, we're going over it to go somewhere else. So, you know, to be recognised and to be acknowledged, uh, you know, I know that this from a WA perspective, that you've got to really push hard. You've got to make sure that you're doing something that is going to get you on the map. Um, and, you know, for you, I think that Paco is that film, like it's just a, I keep on heaping a lot of praise on it, but it's, it is one of the films, like I've, the my two favorite films so far this year have been like Talk to Me, which is another Adelaide film, I guess in a way, and it's like completely the polar opposite of this, which is my other favorite film. Like they're so completely different, yet uh, the the voice and the style that's in the films is so unique and so complete that it's just you can't help but embrace it. Um, and it's such a wild experience, uh, you know. Revisiting this this morning, I was just like, this is. I'm always a little bit trepidatious revisiting films because you're like, I had such a great experience the first time. Is it going to be the same? No, it's it's just as good. Like, I, I loved it just as much as watching it the first time. And I guess, in a way of wrapping up, like, great films like this become part of you. Like, you know, as you're saying, David Lynch had mentioned, once a film's made, it exists. It's, it's almost, it's not yours anymore in a way. It becomes everybody else's. And I'm grateful for that because... I get to hold on to this and go, yep, this is part of me now. And I get to tell people about and all this kind of stuff. It's wonderful. I love it's the selfish part of what I get to do is, you know, that. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> no, thank you yeah. so much. I'm, yeah. I'm really glad it, that it touched you in that way. That's uh, no, it's really incredible. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. And then we have two final screenings in Adelaide this month. Um, one on the 16th at the Mercury and then another on the 21st uh, at a distillery in Port Adelaide. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete the cox network with gig speeds everywhere it's internet built for tomorrow today cox bringing us closer in cox serviceable areas speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms apply other restrictions may apply